I want to tell you, I'm as so excited for what God is doing. I'm probably more excited than a monkey in a banana factory or something like that. I, I'm just, as we have watched the signups roll in for our Light of Life campaign. Welcome, ladies. I'm glad you're here. Uh, for the Light of Life campaign, we are just thrilled. I can tell you, as of right now, this morning, over a hundred of you have signed up to be a part of the Light of Life campaign. Now, that's not exciting for our glory or the preacher's glory or Northside's glory or anything like that, but I'm so excited because that means there's about 200 hands this year and 100 hearts. And there's still another week to sign up for you to get involved and for you to connect, for you to do the work of God in a different way this year. I'm so excited. I'm more excited than a caffeinated squirrel. I want to tell you that it is so Beautiful what it is, what God's people can do when the light, the light, the light that is not us, by the way, it's just like that stained glass window. If you remember from last week, we're not the light. We just reflect the light. And when the light shines through us, we become a conduit. We get a front row seat to see what God is doing. Now, I love my job because I get to do that. I get, a, I get literally a front row seat. I get to watch you. I get to watch how God's word works in you. But as you are a part of the Light of Life campaign this year, you, in the same way, are going to get a front row seat to what God is doing through you. He's got a, a plan for you. He's got a, a story for you to write. He's got people that you are going to interact with. You see, this whole thing is not just about doing good work so we can brag. No, this whole thing is about his light coming through us so that we can point back to the source of the light. I'm so excited. I want to remind you that tonight at six o'clock. For, uh, will be the York College Concert Choir. And I know many of you have opened your homes and your hearts for those uh, young people as they come to sing to us. They will need a place to stay and remember to be there tonight. And I, I do understand that they will have eaten beforehand, so you won't need to feed them or anything like that. You just open your home and, and bring them back here tomorrow morning. And uh, also, several of you have asked about the Bible reading plan, and there is a Bible reading plan this year. Uh, we are not ignoring that at all, and there is available. Sandy had those right at the back for you, and so you'll be able to pick those up this morning. They will also be on the website if you are interested in keeping up with a reading plan as a congregation. Of course, if you always want to do your own thing, that's fine as well. To recap, the Light of Life campaign for this year, you're signing up at the Activity Corner, or you can sign up via email. We sent those emails out this week. I'll send another batch tomorrow not to be obnoxious just i know that some of you don't check your email very well and if you don't find it immediately you can check that old junk mail file and there will be and just click there and you can go immediately and sign up for the ministries that you want to we're partnering with four ministries this year Simple House, the coordinator of that is Laura Emery. The Soup Kitchen, the coordinator of that are Elroy and Marie Christie. Carpenter Place, we're going to be working with the girls and the staff there. And the coordinator for that is David, is David and Sarah Holt. And finally, last but not least, right here in our own backyard, Celebrate Recovery. And the coordinators for that are Jeff and Jenny Martin. So I want you to sign up. 
And then you'll just simply wait. And the coordinators will contact you via email or text or something. And they'll let you know, here's how we would like you to plug in this year. We have a lot of opportunities and a lot of wonderful things that are going to happen. The challenge is for every Northsider to give $20 in 17 hours to donate towards some ministry. Now, some people say, well, I'm already involved with this, or do I really need to sign up? It would be very helpful if you signed up so that the coordinators can know who all's involved and spread that out a little bit. We don't need 50 people doing volunteer work at one place and then not the rest of the year. We kind of need to spread that out. So help the coordinators put that together by signing up. That will be so helpful. And finally, if you're on social media and you happen to be volunteering, you get a picture, put Northside, hashtag Northside Lights, NS Lights on there so that we can know that's not really for our glory. We just want to be able to share and know and see what's going on. And that's a, a helpful thing to do. So if you're those are the ways you can be involved. And if you haven't signed up already, please do. Well, as I said, I'm a little bit excited. I think I had about four shots of espresso. So we're going to get through the sermon this morning. Our new series is called Reset, and we're talking today about beginning again. Did you ever have a point in your life where you just wish you could go back and do that point over? Maybe it was that year over, maybe it was that week over, maybe you just said something to your spouse today, I really wish I could do that over. Maybe you had a point where you really wished that God would have allowed you a magical reset button, a way to, to change. You know, he did. Uh, there's a very subtle phrase in Genesis chapter 1. Turn to your Bibles, uh, iPhone, iPad, good old paper copy. Whatever you are, turn to Genesis chapter 1. And uh, in there is this very interesting way that Moses, we presume, wrote it, and he, he's going through the creation account, and he's talking about day one and day two, and at the end of every single day, there's this phrase, key into it with me, and there was evening, and there was morning. And it's the first day, and there was evening, and there was morning. And there was day two, and there was evening, and there was morning. Now, I always just kind of glossed over that as just some sort of way of telling us there was 24-hour days, and that's something that's in the Bible. But, but maybe there's more to it than that. You ever have one of those days that the only good thing about that day is the ending of it? I remember one particular Monday, uh, I went to the dentist, and I had had a 100% track record. And they said, well, Mr. Levering, we have found a little distal pit. I said, what is a distal pit? She said, well, it's a fancy word for a cavity. A cavity? I've never had a cavity. But I got my first one. Then I left the dentist's office. Oh, and uh, Tyler had been asking me to go sledding that. It was real snowy, and so we went over, and we went over by the palace. And uh, I was pretty secure in my relationship with Jesus, so I felt good about going to the top of the hill. I was too secure because as we went down, I rolled over and dislocated my shoulder. Spent the rest of the day, most of it, in the ER. And I was just sitting in bed that night because it was very hard to sleep. Had to sleep upright, and I had this, and I had the first cavity of the day. And I was like, well played, Monday, well played. The only good thing about this day will be the ending of it. And in Genesis chapter 1, it's sort of like God reminds us that no matter what happens to you, no matter what's happened against you, 
doesn't matter what's happened in your life, there's evening and there will be morning. Isn't that a beautiful thing that God does? I mean, I suppose he could have just made the world and it's one just constant day, but no. He shuts it down and he starts anew every day. And that's good when you have a bad day. It's good when you have a bad week or especially when you have a bad life. But more than just resetting the days, God has given us a solution to reset our lives. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this series. How do we how do we reset? Um, Now, I'm not a, a golfer. Um, because I personally don't think a preacher should play a sport that tempts him to say words he shouldn't say. It is, ooh, I played enough golf to know I shouldn't be playing it. But there is one beautiful word in the game of golf, and that is a mulligan. And you can suck that sucker and just you give it all you got, and it just veers off and hooks and almost hits another golfer. And instead of having to fight against that bad shot... You get to say, I'm just going to take a mulligan, which is a golfer's way of saying you get a do-over. There's all sorts of things in life that you mess up. You mess up and you make a mistake. And the question is, what do you do when you mess up? That's the problem. Some mess-ups are small things that are easily correctable. As an example... Um, I want to confess to you that I've sinned many times this morning, and one particular way that I've sinned is I've been driving in the left-hand lane, not going fast enough. And I realize, I look in the rearview mirror, and I see all those cars that are being held up by me. I say, oh my goodness, I need to repent. And so what do I do? I turn my blinker on, and I scoot right on over, and I let all the fast speeders go by so they can get a ticket, not me. That's an easy way. When I mess up, you see I mess up in traffic, I can just correct that pretty quickly and get right back to where I need to be. When we were little kids, uh, about long about 1984, we had my dad, Christmas morning, bought us this really cool box. It was gray and white, and it sat on top of our television, and it was called Nintendo. Now, this is long before... NES and and all of that, the Wii and all that cool stuff. This was just good old 1984 technology. And and the thing about the Nintendo was there was two things that made it work, two buttons. Power button to turn it on and a second button called the reset button. And it was, you know, when you got stuck in a game and you couldn't defeat that character, when you got to a point where you were struggling, or maybe... That for whatever reason, the Nintendo just went on the fritz. You just reach over and push that reset button and start back over. That was an introduction to a small problem, correctable pretty quickly. We have those things in life. When you, when you mess up, then you can kind of back up. Maybe you're working on your computer and you uh, do something you... you for some reason, delete your article you were working on or the sermon or whatever it is you're writing... And you can just go back and hit Control-Z, and it there it is. Presto changeo, just exactly everything you lost is right back where you need it. It's a reset. It's a, it's a small problem, easily corrected. I don't know what your small problems are, but we all have them, and, and the good news is you can correct those things. I had a really funny one. I, I wasn't sure if I should tell it because I, 
I'm still working on my mortgage, but I'll go ahead and tell a story about a shepherd. This past week, Albert and Brian are are, uh, preaching shepherds, and we went to breakfast together. And uh, Albert uh, generously said, I I got breakfast today. I'll I'll cover it. We went to Cracker Barrel, and we were sitting around the table, and we said, thank you, Albert. That was very generous of you. And we continued our discussion, and and we had breakfast and got the bill and and, uh, finished with prayer and and uh, as we walked out of there, everything was good. And I was in my car, and I was the last one to leave. And so Albert and Brian had already left. And sitting in my car, working on figuring out what the next thing was for the day. All of a sudden, I just see this car just bring right back in. It was Albert. And I rolled down the window. I said, what's the problem, Albert? He said, I forgot to pay for breakfast. <laughs> Don't worry. We told him we were with Riverlawn. It's fine. So... <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it was an easy problem. It was just a small thing. He just hurried back in there and, and paid the bill that he owed. It was a small problem, easily correctable. Those are fine. But what about, what about when you mess up in the big ways that are not as easily correctable? The Scripture tells us lots of stories of people that messed up in big ways that weren't easily correctable. If you're in your Bibles, you're going to turn to the book of John. Now, the book of John, I'm just going to go through these stories very quickly. But the book of John tells us three particular stories I want to make note of. The first is in John chapter 4. And John chapter 4 is the story of a woman who messed up. She was a Samaritan. She had messed up in her life to the point where she had been divorced five times. And she wasn't just divorced five times, she was also living, shacking up with a guy currently. This woman had messed up in ways that weren't easily correctable. In fact, the only way she could sort of hit the reset button was by going to the well at noon to avoid the crowd and hope that no one would be there as she went to draw water. Unfortunately, that day, or maybe better said, fortunately, There was someone at the well, this Jewish rabbi who wanted to talk to her about living water. Curious, and yet Jesus was doing what Jesus always did. He was giving her a reset button. In John chapter 8, if you turn over just four chapters, there's the story of another woman who messed up. Now, this time it wasn't just her fault. There was a man involved, but we're never told about him in the story. But this poor woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and she had been brought forth as bait to test Jesus. It really wasn't about her at all, but they had used this human being as holy bait. And Jesus didn't take it. Thankfully, he gave her a reset button. He showed her mercy When he said to those standing around, if you're without sin, then cast the first stone. And so slowly they began to realize that none of them could cast a stone. In fact, the only one who cast a stone was left there beside her. And he said, woman, where are those who accuse you? He said, nowhere, sir. To which Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus gave both of them a reset button to give them the thing which they most needed, which was mercy and grace. 
And then, of course, there's the story of a man, John chapter 18. Not just any man, one of Jesus' very good friends. They had spent three years together, had lots of good stories. They had grown as close as I imagine one could. It was a beautiful friendship that he had, especially with Peter and James and John. What was it about Peter that attracted the Messiah to him? We don't know what called him to call him. We're not sure, but he did. And we watched Peter with all of his enthusiasm and love and and misplaced moments where he would just open his mouth and insert his foot. And this is one of those. In John chapter 18, they've taken Jesus now. And of course, all the disciples are scared for what might happen to them. And there's a little slave girl who says, you, you, I saw you, you were with him. And he denied him, denied it three times that he was ever with Jesus, that he ever knew Jesus. Now, maybe you've messed up in your life. but It's a pretty safe bet that you haven't messed up that big in that public a way. John says that he, I'm sorry, maybe not John, but uh, one of the gospel accounts says that he went out after this and wept bitterly. John does say that as he denied the Christ, it was cold. And I'm not sure that John was giving a weather report there. I think he was talking about the condition of Peter's heart as he tried to warm himself by the fire for selling out his very good friend. Now, I tell you those three stories to tell you this very simple point that you already know, and that is we all mess up. You're a a mess, or somebody's messed you up, or you're just dealing with a mess. Can I get an amen on that? In fact, why don't you look to the person on your left or to your right and just say, I'm a mess. And if they didn't say they're a mess, you just look right back at them and say, and you're a liar, too. (laughs) We are all a mess. We all have messes where we can't fix what we've broken. What did Jesus do? He gave a thirsting woman living water. He gave a guilty woman mercy and compassion. He gave a despairing disciple hope. In short, he gave them a reset button. And that's the solution for all of us. We need a reset. We've got to come back to it. We've got to be able to say, you know what? I've messed up what is behind me. Maybe you've made a series of poor decisions like the Samaritan woman. Perhaps you are ashamed of your sin like the woman caught in adultery. Perhaps you have... You're tired of your addiction and you're living in the shadows. You, like all of us, are a mess. And that is why we need a Messiah. Turn to Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 23 that I think you know. I think you know. It's one of those verses that we use to show our hopeless condition. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's true. But I do believe that there's another verse right after it. It is a very important conjunction in that sentence. 
Paul didn't mean to stop there. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. The most important word, if I didn't emphasize it enough, is the word and. There's not an a period at the end of that verse, if they were, we would be truly without hope. Romans 5 verse 8 goes on to say, But Christ, God shows his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if you're here this morning and you think, I just don't feel comfortable here. I don't like church. And to be honest, maybe I've been going here a long time, but I got stuff here that if I let people know about, they would just, they would just, you know what they would do? Probably most of them would go, yeah, me too. Me too. And if they couldn't, maybe they would say, you know what? I can't relate to that, but I can tell you this. There's a verse 24 to the verse 23 that God's story doesn't stop with your sin. It doesn't even start with your sin. Before you even thought of that sin, he had a plan. Before you even committed that sin, he had a plan. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if we take just a moment and pause and reflect on our theme for the year, which is light of life, we learned this very important lesson. That is, Jesus is the only true reset button. I appreciate Ted's comments this morning. I appreciate, especially appreciated him talking about my lovely suit. And several of you have been saying, oh, it seems like you've been losing weight. Good. Yes, thank you. Pass the lie. Pass the lie. Uh, <laughs> But it is not about us and how we look. It is about what Jesus has done in us and what he is doing through us. You see, I tried for years to make myself better by my own merits. And you know what? I messed that up. I mean, this is the greatest week to talk about that. Because if you try by your own efforts to make yourself better... What you're going to do is feel frustrated and you're not going to be anywhere close to God because you're going to realize how painfully short you fall. And you're going to forget verse 24. Jesus is the light of life. He is the only one who can bring light to our dark situations. You can try to forget your sin and flee from it and hide from it and find substitutes for it. But Jesus is the only one who can reset it. Only Jesus can forgive your sin. He and he alone can reset a man's life. You remember what he said to Nicodemus? He said, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, you ever have those moments you say, well, I wish I could do my whole life over again. And Jesus says, yes, that's exactly the point. You must be born again. And so Nicodemus is like, what do you, how, do you, how can a man be born when he's old? He's not talking about the physical rebirth. He's talking about being reborn inwardly. Jesus said it's not just a good thing to be reborn. He said it must happen. A man must be born again if he's to enter the kingdom of God. You must have the reset button of Jesus Christ. Only in him can sin that's been done be undone as if it had never been done. 
Only in him can he wash your crimson stains that they shall be as white as snow. With Jesus, your defeats do not define you. You get a do-over. You get a restart. Which is the verse that was read for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. It's that time of year, of course, where the seasons have pretty much killed. The winter has killed most everything that's growing. Everything now seems dead. But, but I love this time of year because as I'm clearing off the old and pruning the bushes and getting everything down to where it's ready for that springtime season where we'll see new life. This is the thing that happens to us in Jesus Christ is that not only is the, the old gone and passed away. That's not that's some people think it's all just about having your sins forgiven. You weren't just saved from something. You were saved to something. And God has a plan not just to clean everything up, but to give you light and for that light to bring life. And as you wait and as you watch for those dead things and new growth, and here in a couple of months, you'll begin to see those new buds, those new signs of a new season. And in the same way, God has that in mind for his beloved. If you've let him reset your life, can I ask you very plainly, what difference has it made? You know, when the Samaritan woman was was given a reset, she became one of the very first missionaries telling and sharing her story. And it was simply this, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Come meet a man. Now that woman got a reset, not just so she could have a clean slate, but so that God could write a new story on that slate. The adulterous woman was given mercy and, of course, a second chance at physical life. But she was told to go and sin no more. Peter went from denying Jesus to daringly preaching him and giving him the opportunity to say he would preach the first gospel sermon. He would preach in Judea and Samaria. He would preach all around the world. That very same tongue who had denied him. But it had been given a reset. So my question to you is, what about you? You realize the moment that your life wasn't just reset for you. It wasn't just about you. In other words, it wasn't just about less sinning. It was about more shining. So, so what are you doing about it? What difference does it make? Philippians chapter 3, Paul wrote this. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Listen, 2016 may have had some bad things for you to leave behind. But... 2017 is almost a whole chapter waiting to be written. What are you going to write? What are you going to let God write in your life? How is it going to make any impact? 
He freely poured out his grace to you so that it might overflow into the lives of others. Give me some specifics here. When you leave church, when you leave and you get in your car and you say, you know, we ought to go to lunch somewhere. I don't really feel like cooking. Let's go somewhere. You are entering into a world of the service industry where waiters and waitresses absolutely hate. They hate the Sunday crowd. Do you know why? Because they're the most demanding. They're the, they're the most wait on me kind of attitude. And they're the least gracious tippers. Now, let me tell you, I'm going to preach now. If you have been to lunch and you left some poor waitress who's been on her feet for eight hours and you leave her a dollar and a tract on how to become a Christian, you have done a terrible thing for the witness of Christ. Because all you've said to her is that Christians are cheap and self-centered. Listen, listen now. Christian, Sunday ought to be the best time for a waiter and waitress to work. They ought to go to work and say, you know what, it's going to be good today because those Christians are getting out. That's okay. You say they want them to take advantage of us. No, but God has poured out so freely every spiritual blessing to you in Christ. And you sit there looking at the tip calculator going, well, I don't know. know. What if you could just bless somebody? What if you could just bless that waitress and just give her a 100% tip? Well, now, I don't know about that. I can't afford. If you can't afford a tip, maybe it doesn't have to be 100%, but if you can't afford a generous tip, you don't need to be going out to eat. Seriously. This is how people read Christians. So don't let them misread our Savior because of your stinginess. Be generous. And it's not just in that area. There's lots of different areas. But if you go to lunch today, you've been challenged by your preacher. Tip well. When you go home today and and the suit and the dress comes off and and you're in your comfortable clothes, how are you going to treat your family? Oh, man, I'm preaching myself now. Let me tell you, let me tell you, I can just put on that face. I can smile that smile. I can talk that talk. Hey, Brother Joe, how are you? Good to see you this morning. But when I get home, the last thing I want to do is be Christianly. The real Toby comes out. And it's not always a pretty picture. How are you when you get home from church? I heard a story one time by a preacher who preached for about 30 years. He said, I was home. It had been a long day. I was serving the church. And my wife called. She said, oh, hey, honey, how you doing? I said, fine, I don't care. Well, it's about dinner time. Would you like to have you had anything to eat? Do you want something to eat? Uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Well, what had happened was, as he was having this conversation, he didn't realize that their answering machine, this is ancient technology, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the answering machine is picked up and recorded. And he got to listen to that recording of how he, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, spoke to his wife. He didn't speak harshly. He wasn't abusive. He just was unkind. He was short. He didn't give her his best like he gave everybody else at church. If you've been given a reset, the people who know you the best can tell. The people in your family, and I know there's a lot of elbows flying, right? You're hearing this? I'm not talking to the person receiving your elbow. I'm talking to you. 
Jesus went above and beyond for you. So you do the same for your spouse and for your children. Will they thank you? Will they notice you? Will they appreciate you? Do you do that for Jesus? No. But his example has been left for us. His grace is freely poured into you. My question is, how does it show in the life, in your life? The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15. And I just love it so much, I highlighted it, and it's impressed on my mind and heart. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, you've got to remember Paul's story, right? What he came from, what Je- how Jesus had delivered him, how he had reset literally his life. And he said in chapter 15 of this account, he said, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now we hear that, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. But there's another and right there. Verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Oh, that's beautiful. Because there's lots of people who've been given the grace of Jesus Christ and they still live in the same old ways. They still live in the same. And that's not how grace is supposed to be. When his grace is poured out into you, it ought to overflow freely into the lives of your friend and families and co-workers and people that you meet on the street or that you meet in a restaurant. It ought to overflow. If the grace of Jesus Christ has no effect in your life, then I kindly but pointedly ask the question, have you received grace? Because grace that has been without effect, in my opinion, is not grace. If you've received the gift, my question is, how are you letting it change your life? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. I love the grace of God. It's my only hope. If heaven's not a gift... I'm not getting in, but may I never take for granted that beautiful gift that he's given us. This morning, if you're tired of the old and you're ready for the new, I will tell you, as I have often before, that Jesus is the only answer. If you've been given the grace of Jesus, but your life isn't reflecting it, I want to challenge you to begin letting it overflow in your life. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Whatever your need is this morning, we'd be glad to help with it. If we can pray for you, or pray with you, if you are ready to have the eternal reset button and be buried with Christ in the waters of baptism to receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of his Holy Spirit, we gladly oblige that as well. Whatever your need might be this morning, I hope you'll come. We'll meet you down front as together we stand and sing.